0: Hello everyone, good afternoon, welcome to the first day of the week, hope you're all doing well, enjoying this middle of August, and enjoying your New Testament reading. This week we're starting with 1 Corinthians, but today we're going to be talking about what we read last week in Thessalonians, the proper care and feeding of new Christians. Everybody hear me okay? I can hear myself, so I think we're good. Now, all of us are concerned about the plight of new Christians. We've had quite a few uh, this past month. Uh, While I was here, I had the privilege of seeing Lydia and our brother get baptized in my pool, but when I was in Puerto Rico, there were two more got baptized. I think they were Ari and who was the other one? Lucas. Am I right? Are they all here today? No, they're not. Okay. (laughs) I was going to have them stand up. We have some here that are new, though. Where's Lydia? I saw Lydia. There she is. Lydia, you're the only one here of the four recently baptized. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, the road ahead of you guys, maybe the other ones are listening in online, the road ahead for new Christians is a tough road. It's a difficult road. They have a lot of things they need to learn about. They need to learn about God's word, the Bible. Uh, They need to learn about the church, this awesome kingdom that God has made for us, this greenhouse, so to speak, that is going to help us flourish uh, as we continue on in this life. And they also need to learn about the mind of Christ. Uh, And there's a lot then to unlearn as well. It's kind of like, you know, we were given the choice in the paradise of God. When God first made Adam, there was two choices there. You can continue eating from the tree of life and continue being blessed and enjoy eternal life. But there was also a tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we're kind of repeating that same scene here because that tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one that mankind decided that they wanted more so than the tree of life, that's the tree that is flourishing here on this earth. There's all kinds of knowledge out there. Some of it is good, but a lot of it is evil. And continue to eating from that tree of knowledge of good and evil does not give you life. It gives you death. It gives you spiritual death. And that's the path that we're on, except that God has given us another choice in Christ. As our brothers so well put it, in Christ now we can overturn that decision that Adam made so long ago. And even though we're still reaping the effect of sin that is death to our body, even though that's the reality that our bodies are getting weak and are dying, we can make a choice to alter that. Isn't that Amazing. That is like the best antidote to death and aging that there is. But we have to consciously make that choice of continuing to eat from the tree of life that is in Christ Jesus. We have to continue continue to learn from his word, continue to develop that mind of Christ, continue to seek the kingdom first. And as we do that, then the effects of the tree of knowledge of good and evil won't touch us. Our soul, they already touched our body. Sorry, too late for that. So our body will suffer the consequences. But you, your soul, the essence of who you are, does not have to. You have the choice to not get affected by that. And that's the awesome choice that we have as Christians. And recently, all these four young men and women made that choice. And and all the others that... Uh, have been baptized, made that choice as well. There's a lot to learn and a lot to unlearn. Old habits and behavior patterns, old attitudes and prejudices, things that we unfortunately learned from the tree of good and evil. We have to get that. We have to put that to the side and now allow the, the knowledge of Christ, the love of Christ to fill us. There are a lot of perils along the way, you know, uh, things that can also cause us to die. I'm sure you've heard of sudden infant death syndrome. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I know when we had our kids, we were terrified by that. You know, they were born, they were alive. But if you're a new parent, you can relate. You know, now you can put a camera there and, you know, alert you and see... I didn't have that, you know. I didn't even have a cell phone that I could do that with. So we were constantly going into the room. Is he breathing? Can we hear him breathe? Okay, yeah, he's breathing. He's okay. Put a mirror next to the nose. Make sure that we see some humidity. Okay, he's doing it. I'm sure most of you young parents can relate to that because it is a real thing. Well, guess what? Sudden infant death syndrome is real amongst new Christians as well. It's a spiritual Reality. We also call it failure to thrive. Sometimes the call, the pull of the heart, of the passions of the flesh is so strong that you will experience failure to spiritually thrive. And that's a very sad reality. That's one of the dangers. Many fail to live into adulthood in the church. You know, I'm 34 years old in Christ, so that's about, you know, mid. Mid adulthood, I would say. Uh, There's a lot of you that are younger. One, two, three. You know, as you uh, uh, have your spiritual birthday, sometimes I send you little text messages, and I'll I keep track of how old each person is in Christ. Hey, you're ten years old. Yeah, you know, praise God, you you're ten years, you're twelve years, you're twenty years. Wow, you're a young man in Christ even though physically you might be 60 or 70. But, you know, we're counting, we're not counting the old stuff anymore. We're not counting the years in this body. We're counting the years towards the full redemption of our souls until Christ comes back again. But the sad reality is that some have gone by the wayside. Some have settled for something less. How can that be possible? You may think how could it be possible that some after giving the choice of escaping sin and death decide to go back it doesn't make any sense but unfortunately here people make do a lot of things that don't make sense don't, don't they? the danger of becoming lukewarm as well you know having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom that's a dangerous place to be you got to make sure that you have both feet planted firmly in the kingdom of god And leave the world behind. The danger of becoming or wanting to become like everybody else. Which we see as a curse that the nation of Israel had to constantly fight. And God had to be so patient with them. Because they wanted to be like everybody else. What's the fun of that? What's the thing in that being like everybody else? No, we have to want to be like Christ. I want to be able to be raised from the dead. I want to be able to live forever. And there's only one person that I can look at and want to be like that's going to have that impact on me. Nobody, nobody else. So we got to make sure we have our eyes where they need to be and our hearts where they need to be. Paul in his trips and his missionary trips established many churches and had to deal with the proper care and feeding of Christians all the time. We read here in Acts 17, one through four, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. That's the letter that we're gonna be reading or that you already read, sorry. Where there was a Jewish synagogue and as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Notice that he reasoned with them. Not only did he share the scriptures with them, but he reasoned with them what the scriptures were saying. What else did he do? He explained and proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he spent a lot of quality time, not just reading the word to them, but reasoning with them because maybe some had questions. Maybe some were asking, well, how can this be so? Or, or why, you know, why are we not meeting in the synagogue anymore? Why do we have to become Christians? All these things, Paul took the time to explain and to give the evidence, the apologetics, so that they could know, yes, the Messiah did come and he was raised from the dead. We know that, we saw it. And not just us, many other people did as well. And Paul says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. That's the message of the gospel. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So many people were being convinced there were many new Christians in this early months of A.D. 50 when, this, uh, when uh, Paul went on this second missionary journey. This is what it looks like. This is where he went. Uh, this is from Acts chapter 17 and 18. They went from Thessalonica to Berea, Acts 17:10. They went from Berea to Athens, Acts 17, 14 and 15. Timothy and Silas were left in Berea and later joined Paul in Athens. And then Timothy is sent to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Paul went to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, in the late summer of A.D. 50. Timothy then rejoins Paul in Corinth for a few months later, Acts 18, verse 5, and 1 Thessalonians 3:6, which is the occasion for writing the letter to the Thessalonians. So as little as six months had passed between Paul's preaching the gospel in Thessalonica And then his first letter to the congregation. They were only six months in Christ when 1 Thessalonians is written. And the second letter was sent six months after that when they were a year old in Christ. So you can imagine yourself being a year old in Christ and reading 2 Thessalonians. So that explains a lot of the things that we read there. These Thessalonian Christians were just babies, In the faith, they were barely wet behind the ears. They faced opposition, great opposition from their fellow citizens. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. Uh, Just maybe like you've experienced. Some of you experienced that amongst your own families where you're ridiculed, belittled, uh, persecuted. Maybe just by people saying things to you uh, or doing other things. Maybe at your job, you've experienced some of these things. So Paul had been with them only for a few days when he preached the gospel to them and baptized them. And even around that time before Paul left, an angry mob had come looking for them. And Paul was able to escape to Berea. But these new Christians had to continue to live with this new faith amongst persecution and amongst the ridicule that they had experienced. And so what do you say to baby Christians in these circumstances? What do you feed them to keep them encouraged from this hostile surrounding, from this toxic relationship that they were experiencing amongst them? So Paul knew they were in danger and he writes these two letters to help them deal with these circumstances, to help them grow quickly, to help them depend on God. And to find solace and comfort. So they needed two things. These baby Christians needed very careful instruction. As we already read where Paul explained and reasoned and provided evidence. That's part of the careful instruction. They needed some quality time with the word of God. And a seasoned teacher to share with them their experience uh, in Christ. And they also needed Exemplary models. They needed to see what it looked like in action. What does it look like to be this Christian? And so Paul was able to provide these things for them while he was there. So let's talk about the first one first. The baby Christians needed careful instruction. So what Paul taught the Thessalonians? What did he teach them while he was in their presence? Well, we're going to see that Paul simply taught them the word of God. There was nothing else to teach but the word of God as we read here where Paul writes to them. We thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, not as an opinion, uh, but as it actually is. They believe that this word was From God, the word of God, not from man, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So that's very important. Notice the conviction. They had accepted this word as coming from God and not man. Uh, That's the first step. Without you believing that it is actually from God, you're not going to turn your heart over to God. There are so many different teachings, human teachings, human opinions, human reasonings. and, And that's why people are confused. (laughs) <laughs> about what to do, about what to believe. But once you're convinced that these are the words of God, that God is tapping you on the shoulder, oh, that's a totally different experience. Now you're ready for uh, for your, that relationship with God. And Paul, we know as he began, he began at the beginning, just like we do when we're sharing with somebody, the word of God, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as it says in Acts 17, 2 and 3. He says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So we start with that gospel and they believed, they believed that that was the word of God. They believed that was the gospel of Jesus. That was the beginning of a new foundation for their lives. And then the second thing that Paul did is he Taught them to count the cost. There is a huge cost in becoming a Christian. There is a huge personal cost to you in taking that step to becoming a disciple. And Paul taught them that. We read that here in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, and 5. Paul says, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted It was no surprise to them when it happened. Paul said, it's gonna happen. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And when when was that six months? Paul couldn't wait more than six months to find out how they were doing. Paul says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Some of us who sow the gospel and study the Bible with people, we know what that feels like. When you invest so much time and effort and love into somebody and the tempter tempted them and they're no longer here. It's so sad. And, you know, the devil sometimes tempts us with that. Oh, why are we doing this? Why do we do this? (laughs) But we know we do it for the love of God. We know we do it because there's nothing else to do. No other significant thing to do but to continue preaching the gospel. But the concern is there for every single soul. As Paul wrote here, I couldn't stand it any longer. I need to know how you're doing in the faith. You know, and some people think that's intrusive. You know, we at the Long Island Church of Christ, we care about souls. We care about you. And that's why we're constantly badgering you. We can't stand to go too long without knowing how your faith is. And we'll call you, we'll text you. We'll say, how you doing? How are you in the Lord? Some people might get offended by that. Some people might think that's too too much pressure. Well, I'm not going to apologize for that. I will never apologize for that. Because like Paul, I'm concerned about your faith. And I need to know that's love. So accept it. Learn to accept that concern. You know, because that's how we're going to grow together. That's counting the cost. That is counting the cost. Paul also taught them how to live. He taught them how to live in Christ. We read that here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. He said, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. I mean, the fact that they were being persecuted and the news that Paul received... And hearing that they were still faithful, even though the persecution, he didn't need to know more. He was like, hey, you're doing it because the fact that you're being persecuted means you are living a godly life in Christ Jesus. So he was happy about that. But he kept insisting. Notice, now we ask you and urge you. This was the passage that our brother Jacob read this morning. I was actually going to I was thinking of doing a sermon on, on just First Thessalonians 4. But then I said, no, we'll save that for another occasion. He said, we ask you and urge you. So two things, we ask you, but then we urge you. Man, that's insistent. You know, sometimes that feels uncomfortable, right? One thing is for you to ask me how I'm doing, but then if you gotta urge me to doing it, it might feel a little uncomfortable. That's like, you know, spurring you on. You know, that and you know that where that word comes from, right? When when we spur one another on, you know what spurring means? You know, those of you who have never ridden a horse, some of you have never seen a horse. uh, A horse an animal that you ride, and in order for for him to to get him to go forward, you don't step on the gas pedal, you spur them. (laughs) You you wear these boots with these spiky little things on the heel, and you dig that into the horse to make him go forward. I, I don't know if it's comfortable or not, but it works. And that phrase is what Paul uses here. We spur one another on. What does that imply? we got to step on each other's toes at times, you know, to get each other to move forward. Why? Because we're lazy. Why? Because sometimes we're spiritually indifferent. I know I am. I confess to you. If it weren't for my brothers and sisters spurring me on and I'm feeling those spurs digging in me and I don't like it at the moment. But then I'm like, thank you. I needed that. I know me. See, this is a person connected to reality. We need to spur each other on. We need to urge each other to what? To do this, to do what? To live in order to please God. Not a little bit, more and more. Some people get uncomfortable with that. I don't don't need to be here, Uh, I get too stressed out. I wanna go somewhere where people leave me alone. Well, what happens when we take a leaf, pluck it from the tree, and leave it alone? What happens to a branch that we cut from the tree and leave alone? What do you think happens to it? Well, Jesus explained what happens to it in John chapter 15. He says, you can't live apart from me. You got to be connected. Hey, I'll be the first one to tell you as a person who's an introvert. And who wants, you know, leave me alone. I know that mentality all too well. But it's going to lead me to death. I had to learn to want to be urged and spurred and moved on. I had to learn that. I had to learn to love it. Because that's what keeps me alive. I would not have made it to 34 years unless it was for brothers and sisters who love me and urge me and spur me on. That's what keeps me alive. And new Christians need that. Don't be shy about it. Don't think, oh, I don't want to ask because I might make them uncomfortable. No, that's the worldly mentality. Now, In the family of Christ, you want to ask, how you doing? Don't do that. Why are you doing this? Oh, you know. Well, yeah, millennials might feel a little uncomfortable in the new generation. What are they called? The Zoomers, the Zimmers, the Sammers? Or, you know, because the world today is about, leave me alone, you know, don't. Hey, that's ungodly, okay? That's not what I read here in these letters. That's not how these Christians continued moving forward. So don't apologize for that, okay? We have to learn how to make it and teach the next generation that this is how it's done. Without apology, but with love, because they're not gonna find love outside of that. Paul taught them these things. They needed to be found in Christ, they need to expect that they were going to suffer for their faith. But these new Christians were encouraged to live noble and holy lives. So let's read now what Paul taught them in the letters. This is what he taught them right when he was with them when he was face to face with them. But now in his letters, chapter four and five are are full of practical teachings and and admonitions, teaching material that makes the bulk of these chapters are some of the topics here. Ethical living, fellowship, eschatology, that means the end times, attitudes, how to have the right attitude, and how not to be lazy, idleness. Uh, He taught these things. To the Christians in these letters. So new Christians need to be told many things. Just like you would teach any young child. They need to be taught many things. And told many things. In order to live a good life in Christ. A full life in Christ. But sometimes... We know, right, what we say is not enough. We sometimes can teach a child, don't touch the hot plate, don't touch the hot plate, don't touch the hot plate. But they go and touch it anyway. And then after they touch it, they're like, okay, now I see what you mean. <laughs> so sometimes a little experience is needed. A little example is needed. A little hand-holding is needed. Uh, more than theory, more than words, to show them what the Christian living is all about. They need something practical to fully understand what it means to be a Christian. They need not just to hear, but to see. So that's the next thing. Christians need exemplary models. They need an example of what it is like they need to follow. And that involves three things. Powerful living, sacrificial living. That's hard. That's a hard one. And learning to be moved by love, not by passion of the heart. That's the that's advanced. That's the hardest of them all, because we are so entrenched in our passions. We think we are our passions. That's the greatest mistake a Christian can make. Uh, you know, because the message from the world is is right in there. You know, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your dreams, be true to who you are. What does that mean? Be true to yourself. What does that mean? Be true to yourself? You don't even know who you are. How can you be true to yourself? That's that's madness. That's craziness. You don't know who you are. How can you be true to yourself? And that's why we see so much madness in the world around us. But we can learn to follow Jesus. We can learn to follow in His footsteps. We can learn to have the mind of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit. And we have His words. And they are powerful. They can help us battle the strongholds that the world has put in our minds. Those fake ideas, fake news, conspiracies, all kinds of nonsense, fear. All those things that keep you trapped. All those things that are going to cause you to lose out on the promise of Christ. And so we need these exemplary models. Let's read here what Paul said in 1st Thessalonians 1, 4 through 7. He says, we know brothers and sisters loved by God. You are loved by God. He has chosen you. You ever thought about that? You know, uh, that took me a long time to, to accept. God has chosen me. I don't feel worthy. I'm not an important person. I wasn't born out of royalty. You know, I, you know, nobody wants to hire me because of what my resume says. I don't have anything good to put on my resume to make a name on LinkedIn and have people want to follow my profile. You know, I don't do great things, but God chose me. Think about that. You're sitting here today. God chose you. You're listening to this message online. God chose you. When are you going to accept that? to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. There's enough material in these verses for, for three sermons, but I'm just going to uh, just uh, give you a little overview. What is he saying here? He contrasts mere words here with his example, because they had seen him. He lived with them for, for some time. Uh, but there's also the matter of power, the spirit and conviction. In other words, the manner in which Paul lived, they were able to see what conviction looks like, what Paul would do, what he wouldn't do, what he decided to do in light of what was, what was happening around them. Paul's example gave a visual practical for the Christians there. And so he says they became imitators of us. First, he preached to them this gospel when he was with them and he told them what Jesus did. He told them how he loved them and because he loved them, he was willing to give himself over to man to let man injure him, to let man bury him. God, the powerful God, creator of heaven and earth, humbled himself to the point where he let his creation overpower him. He let them do it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that he was caught off guard. It wasn't that his plan wasn't fulfilled. No, he knew exactly what was going on. And he let them, he humbled himself and let them do that because there was a greater plan at work for all. That's the love of God. He let them injure him because he, his death was the only solution to our sin problem and to our grave problem. And so that paves the way now to be able to now be immersed and join this upside down kingdom. We need to be impacted by the conviction that the gospel shows us. That's the deep conviction Paul was talking about. To let the love of Christ compel us. He who had it all gave everything up for us. And so now he's asking us to give up nothing because our lives are nothing to gain everything from him. And when that happens, when we join him in baptism, as Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, we're buried in the watery grave of baptism to join Jesus as he was buried. And as Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised to newness of life. And we receive that power, the Holy Spirit now, That's the Holy Spirit that he was talking about in that verse. The Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So now we're ready to become imitators. And the first skill that we need to become imitators is the ability to listen, not just hear. We can all hear stuff. But can you listen? Can you hone in on what is being said and capture it? Uh, The deaf are not able to listen, so we say listen like this. It means observe. It means watch. (laughs) Because the deaf watch with their eyes. So they have to observe with their eyes. But we also watch. We first listen to the words. Faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard from the word of Christ. But to grow Now we have to also look. We have to learn to observe others. Look at how others are living it out. If you're a good observer, you will go far. You know, if you're a good observer, you will go far. It's a great skill to have. As Paul says, you know how we lived among you. Paul was there living among them. So they observed how Paul lived. They heard what Paul said. They observed what Paul did. And so they imitated now that's on you. That that's now you got to take those first steps. You hear, you uh, you listen, you watch, and now you take those steps. And you're you're gonna make a mistake. Don't be afraid of that. You know that, that is the amazing thing of being in God's kingdom. We can make mistake after mistake. And I made I think my first ten years in Christ were, were mistakes all up, and, and yet here I am. You know. Total mistake. One day after the other, I couldn't get it right for ten years or more. Maybe, maybe I still. Maybe you say Peter, no, you're still not getting it right. It may be true. I know, I know, because we all need to continue to look. That's an amazing thing of being in God's kingdom. Grace. It's a magic word. Don't take advantage of it though. Grace is awesome. Make mistakes because that's how you learn, isn't it? So don't be afraid. Imitate. Oh, I'm not imitating it right. Oh, okay. You know, some of us don't like to make mistakes, I guess, because we don't like to be corrected. <laughs> so we try to get it right because we don't want somebody to say, oh, you did it wrong. Get over it, okay? Get over it. You're going to do it wrong. You are, I promise you. I promise you, you're going to fall flat on your face. But that's okay. If somebody says, hey, you know, do it like this, accept it because no one here knows how to do it 100%. (laughs) Okay, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Why Jesus says, you need the Holy Spirit. We need Him in order to move forward. So look look what happened here. The Thessalonians became a model, Paul said. A model for everyone in that province. They who had started out with so much persecution, it was like everything was against them from the get-go. But because they believed They had the Holy Spirit. They had deep conviction. They became a model. It's very powerful. Not only the gospel, Paul says he shared, but his life as well. Look what he says here in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, notice that the deep emotional bond... Paul had for these Christians. He, hadn't, he didn't know them from a hole in the wall. He, he had only spent a few weeks there with them. But they had become so deeply entrenched, their relationship. And I, we know this, right? We felt this. We, we barely know somebody, but they became a Christian. Or they visit us. And we, our hearts are automatically entrenched. That's the Holy Spirit. Those are the bonds of the Spirit. It, it goes beyond human bonds. It's a deep bond. And so we care Like a mother cares for her children. Because we loved you so much, Paul says. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And that's what we call mentorship. Mentorship is where we share God's word. Yes, that takes priority. But we share our life. We share our issues. You know, the people whom I've had the privilege of mentorship They know my mistakes and and my fumblings and and all my errors because I want to share that with them as well. You know, that's what it's about. They need to know I'm just as messed up as, as they are. We are all in the same place. And that mentoring relationship that Paul forged with them here and that we forge with one another, that. That becomes a strong glue against the temptations and the persecutions that you will encounter. It takes real love to share the gospel of God, the good news, the message of salvation, but it takes even greater love and humility to share our lives, to open our doors, to open our hearts and let people know, hey, we're just like you. But we're going to do it together because God has given us his Holy Spirit Paul shared his life. He cared for them like a mother caring for children. He worked day and night. He says here in verse nine, surely you remember brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God. So he let them witness his convictions, how holy, how righteous, how blameless he wanted to be. And he dealt with them uh, It says here, as a father deals with his own children. he says, you are witnesses and so is God. Of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So the proper care and feeding of Christians, according to Paul is what proper discipleship is about. And that's what we're attempting, we've attempted to practice here at the Long Island Church of Christ. From the beginning, we learn from these letters that the Holy Spirit left behind for us to know how to care, know how to get the Christian started, know how to help them be successful in their walk with Christ, how to deal with temptation, with persecution, with all these things that, is discipleship. That's how we make disciples. And that's how we produce disciples that make other disciples. That's how the kingdom of God will continue growing. There is no other way to do it. So from Paul's perspective, from the mentor's perspective, any of you here who are mentors, you're mentoring somebody in Christ or you're studying the Bible with somebody, this is what Paul teaches from his perspective. Words, The words, your words need to be about the gospel, preaching, teaching the gospel, everything that you say centered around the gospel. Then there are actions, living and modeling the gospel. If you want to live a double life, this is not for you. You will quickly be found out. You're not going to be successful. Your actions need to back up. What you're saying as a mentor. And then there's the constant reminders of the words and the actions over and over. Just like a parent with their children over and over and over. Don't, don't be bothered by that. That's part of discipleship. The reminders over and over and over. Just like Paul told them in the first and second Thessalonians. You can see how he words it over and over telling them these things. This is what ought to be going on in our mentorship meetings. When you meet together for a mentorship meeting, what should you focus on? The words of God first. What are we learning? What are we reading? Here's what I want to share with you. In the mentorship meetings, if the word of God is not being read and studied, it is not a discipleship. It might be a gossip session. It might be just sharing, a meeting, a social gathering. Don't make it that. Make it mentorship, discipleship. Make it about the word of God. What change is it causing in you? What is it teaching you? Share that and let others share it as well. Make it about feasting on the word of God. That's the first thing. And then from the Christian's perspective, what should proper discipleship look like? This is from the protege or, or, or the mentee, as we call them. What, what is their side? Well, they should be listening to the words of God. Are there words of God there coming to you? Listen to them. Romans ten seventeen. Those are the words that will increase your faith. Not human words, but the words of God. You want people to grow in their faith? You got to say the words of God. I, I'd rather them read it. You know, when I'm in a Bible study with someone, I could quote a lot of Bible to them. That's good. But I want them to read it. There's something about reading the word of God. I really believe Romans ten seventeen. that's what's going to give you faith. So there's listening. Listen to the word of God. Watch, watch your mentor. Watch what they do. Imitate the good, as Paul says, because we're going to sometimes make mistakes. Don't imitate the mistakes. Imitate the good. you see a mistake? Call out, call them out on it. Hey, mentor, why did you do this? Or why did you say that? And that's a test of humility for the mentor, isn't it? Oh, yes, because this is a two-way street. There is no one better than the other. All we can all aspire to is to be as good as Jesus. But there is not one above the other. We mentor one another. It's a relationship. But there are some things that we learn from those who've been doing this for a while. So watch them. Get together with those who maybe you admire something about them. Why do they do this? Why do you think that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Why? Why do you think that? Have those kind of discussions. Those are the ones that are most edifying. And then you become. You become what you hear and see. And that leads to the modeling of the Christian life. This is why we practice mentorship in the church because it's been proven to be the best way to grow baby Christians and to mature fruitful disciples and I believe that's what Paul and the apostles practiced from what we read in these letters from what we read about them doing when they were present with them and then what they're writing about later on this is it, these are the words to the new Christians find someone who's older and wiser in the faith and if Someone whose life shows that commitment that you see. And then be willing to listen. Be willing to learn from your mentor. Watch them. Imitate them. And those of you who are older in Christ, make sure that you're loving them as your own child, loving them as if you were their father or their mother. Take it that seriously. Let it give you a headache. (laughs) Let it, you know, move your cheese. You might say, I already have children who move my chief. I don't need any more. No, we all need to do this together because it's going to take the village to do it. And so we need to be willing to suffer. This part, by the way, this is all part of suffering, the footsteps of suffering in Christ because Jesus suffers for us, do you know? He looks at us and he's like, ah. Like he said to the disciples, "How how much longer do I have to be here with you? You ever felt that way about somebody? I'm sure somebody has felt that way about you. How much longer do I have to keep telling you these things? But we all say it with love, don't we? We all say it with love. Yes, yes, I, I, I need a lot of patience. I, I also know you need a lot of patience to deal with me. It's a two-way street. But that's what makes the bonds of family that much stronger. That's what makes it real, isn't it? And that's what it takes to grow and to properly care and feed new Christians. Have a good afternoon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.